What sort of thing do you expect to hear at church? What sort of subject do you think is suitable for a sermon? I'm sure you're all thinking of something at the moment, aren't you? I hope. What sort of thing do you expect to hear? Please don't answer out loud, at at this point in time anyway. What are suitable subjects for a sermon? Well, I wonder if our ideas of what we should hear need to be broadened. Not too much, but broadened a little. Um, I'll show you what I mean. Please come with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. As most will know, we're in a series going through 1 Timothy. We've actually got to chapter 5, but let's turn to start with to chapter 4 and verse 6. 1 Timothy 4 verse 6. If you point these things out to the brothers... You will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. Paul is passing on his work to Timothy. Paul hasn't got long left. And there's this young man, Timothy, who is taking over the work. And Paul tells him what he should teach. And he says, to be a good minister of Christ Jesus, you should point out these things. What things? What things does he mean? Well, the things in the previous verses. Verses 1 to 5, which are... Verses about refuting false teaching, showing up what false teachers are like. Paul says to Timothy, if you do that, you're a good minister of Christ Jesus. Does that broaden a little our idea of what being a good minister of Christ Jesus is? That it involves pointing out when people are false teachers. Or turn on to 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 2 and the very last sentence. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 2 and the last sentence. These are the things you are to teach and urge on them. Paul again is passing on his work to Timothy. He wants to make sure that Timothy will carry on that work that Paul has received from the Lord Jesus himself. And he says these are the things you are to teach and urge. What things is Timothy to teach and urge? Well obviously what's come in the section before. A section which started at Chapter 5, verse 3, a section about care for widows and attitude to elders and respect for those over you at work. And Paul says to Timothy, right, I'm passing the work on to you and these are the things to teach and urge on the people. Now, do we take seriously that all scripture is God-breathed, including these verses? And so at church, teaching and urging should include these things we find in 1 Timothy chapter 5. And being a good minister of Christ Jesus doesn't just mean talking about the love of Jesus on the cross. Of course, you're not a good minister of Christ Jesus if you don't talk mostly about that. But it also means teaching some quite specific things. The Bible says about how we should live as people who... And as a church that has been captivated by the love of Jesus on the cross. Now, let's be specific about what we should do about it. So this evening, I'm going to teach and urge on you three relationships that we find in chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6. Three relationships to be characterised by respect and realism, so the church's witness is not harmed. That's the pattern this evening. We've got three relationships and for each they're to be characterised by respect and realism so the church's witness isn't harmed. And the three are relationship to the needy, 
relationship to elders and relationship to what I'm going to call employers and managers. Now, I have to admit, we're going to spend nearly all the time on relationship to elders. And I'm bringing in the other two so you can see how it all ties together and what the point all is. So, here are three, although we're mainly going to focus on one. First of all, the needy. Chapter 5, verse 3 to 16. I'm going to be very brief on this because we did it last time. Um, So I'm just recapping here. I'm not claiming I'm going through this fully. It's really just a recap from last time. The neediest people at the time of Timothy were widows. And that's been true down through most of history. The neediest people have been widows. And as Paul passes on his work to Timothy, he's concerned that the church properly cares for the needy. And so he tells Timothy, verse 3, 1 Timothy 5 verse 3, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Now where it says recognition, it's a word best translated honour. Give honour to the widows who are in need. I've called it respect, you might guess why I've called it respect, because I've got this pair respect and realism and I wanted two R's. But it's just the same, isn't it? Respect, honour, same sort of thing. And the way that these widows are to be respected or honoured is by providing for their needs. And so, here in chapter 5, Paul gives quite a bit of space to this. This this great apostle, whose priority and role was preaching Christ, he was concerned for how is the church going to have a system that properly cares for the needy, practically cares for the needy. And he wants to make sure, as they do it, they do it with respect, or this word, honour. You see, it it is possible to do some sort of caring for people that doesn't have respect. You heard of the famous author George Orwell? And he wrote a book called Down and Out in Paris and London, because amazingly he was down and out for quite a while. And he describes in it receiving charity in London while he was basically a tramp. And having to go round to these different places where you could receive charity. And he describes how various organisations and people, and sadly also churches... They gave help, and they did put themselves out, but in such a demeaning way that it made him feel like just a dog, or a criminal, or someone they thought, well, you jolly well ought to be thankful that we're showing you any attention at all. And Paul is saying, the church shouldn't be like that with the needy. Care and give them respect. But he says, with realism. A respectful care with realism. And so... We went through the verses last week, so we're not going to again this week. Paul tells Timothy, be realistic. Some of the widows where you're living in Ephesus are taking advantage. And some are turning away from Christ. And and he says, be realistic. The church's care could cause families to not take their responsibility for the needy within their families. And that would be very wrong. So Paul says... You need respect for the needy with realism about some of the difficulties involved. And the respect and the realism matters because, well, have a look at verse 14 to see why. There are are many reasons why, but here's one. Verse 14. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. You've got the same concern in verse 7. 
Chapter 5, verse 7, give the people these instructions too, so that no one may be open to blame. The concern here is outsiders looking on. And what is said about the church? Well, why should we care what is said about the church? Oh, yes, we should. The church is to care for the needy with respect and realism so its witness isn't harmed. What people think and say about the church does matter. Because the church is to be, what is the central verse of 1 Timothy? It's the church is to be a pillar displaying Jesus. Clearly, without that display being spoilt, whether by a lack of care for the needy or a lack of carefulness against sin. So do you see the pattern? Respect, realism. So there isn't slander that spoils the church's witness as it displays Jesus. Now, I said that one would be brief because that was just a recap of last time. Let's move on to the second relationship we have here, which is verses 17 to 25. It's the relationship to elders. Now, this is a bit difficult and embarrassing to speak about because I'm an elder of the church. And even worse, I'm paid for it. (laughs) And, and, And verse 18 refers to elders being paid. So this is the sort of thing that you'd normally get a visiting preacher to come in and speak about uh, because it's a little bit embarrassing and difficult. But we've already remembered that all scripture is God-breathed and this needs to be taught. So I'm just going to have to grip my teeth and tell you what God's word says. We need to. Why? Why, why, why can't we just skip this? Well, what is the main thing in the news at the moment? General election. Why is that in the news so much? Well, because leadership matters. Leaders affect the whole country. And the Bible takes very seriously leadership. Think of the Old Testament history, the history of Israel. What's it focused on? The kings, isn't it? You read about the history of Israel and you read about Israel going downhill or Israel getting better. And when you stop and think about it, you're reading about kings being bad or kings being good. When the kings were good, the nation was good. When the kings were bad, the nation was bad, roughly speaking. Leadership matters. And leadership in the church matters tremendously. So as Paul passes on the baton to Timothy, he's concerned the church is led well. So in chapter 3, Paul gives instruction about overseers. Now in chapter 5, he gives more instruction. And the overseers in chapter 3 and the elders in chapter 5 are the same people. They're the leaders of the church. They have these two different names. Overseers, sometimes translated bishops. Please don't start calling me a bishop. And elders. So what is to be our relationship to them? Let's read verse 17. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour. It's that same word honour again, which I'm calling respect. The elders who direct the affairs of the church. What do elders do? They direct the affairs of the church. Now that could sound a bit like a director sitting behind a chair in an office of a big company. But I hope you recognise it's directing, not like a manager of a business, but like a shepherd leading sheep like a father caring for and guiding a family. Verse 17 says, some of them, their work is preaching and teaching. 
Now, all elders, we're told, need to hold firmly to the trustworthy message so they can pass it on to others. But that passing it on to others can take all sorts of forms. It might be in personal counselling. It might be in directing the church what decisions we can take. It might be in safeguarding the church against error. It might be in standing at the front here and preaching and teaching, but not all elders need to do that or to be particularly gifted in that. But they all have a heavy responsibility leading, guarding, pastoring the church. And so the Bible says, verse 17, give them double honour. Now, it doesn't mean elders should get precisely what widows get. Do you remember in the Old Testament, sometimes it talks about a double portion. And it seems to mean just a generous portion. And so here it is saying, give your elders generous respect. So let's be practical about this. Paul, David, Alistair, Barclay, all have jobs in the workplace, all have families to care for, and yet all give considerable time and effort to serving the church. And each have different qualities they contribute Now, I know that it's not just elders that do that. Many others do as well. Deacons, discoverers, leaders, people visiting others, people producing notice sheets. One of, I think one of the big strengths of Hollywell is that there are many different people in many different ways contributing such a lot. But tonight I'm emphasising elders because the Bible does here. To lead the Church of Christ is a big privilege and a heavy responsibility. So the Bible says, give elders respect. Now, if you look at how verse 17 leads into verse 18 with the word for, in other words, because, it's clear that the two are linked. Give these elders double honour, for the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox when it is treading out the grain. And the worker deserves his wages. So it's clear from the way the two lead into the, uh, uh, verse 17 leads into verse 18, that this respect includes pay. Were you expecting that? That's what it's saying, that this respect includes pay. Now, I'm going to do a bit of guessing here. So I'm, I'm giving you that warning. It's a little bit of guessing here I'm doing. I guess that the situation back then may have been a little like the place I used to visit in rural Zambia. Where I used to visit in rural Zambia, hardly anyone had a job. There wasn't really much of a formal economy. And so everyone has a field and grows their own food and does a bit of buying and selling. And everything's rather informal. And if someone's an elder of a church, well, that is going to take time out of growing their crops, looking after their field and managing to survive. And so a way of honouring and supporting an elder in such a situation is to pay them for the time that is taken out of actually staying alive. Now, I'm guessing it may have been a little like that back then. Now, in a more formal economy, whether a person has a job or not is much more significant. And so we, in a sense, link the second half of verse 17 more into verse 18. And we pay those whose work is preaching and teaching. Whether you think we've got it right or not, and that would be interesting to know. I'd be interested to hear. Um, 
might cost us quite a lot of money if we start paying all the elders. But if it's biblical, we ought to do it. Be interesting to hear your thoughts. The main point here is that proper respect is shown for elders. But this respect must be combined again with realism. Realism about the troubles you can get with elders. So now we're moving from respect for these elders, because they direct the affairs of the church well, to realism that you can get troubles with elders. And the first trouble is the trouble of accusation against elders. Verse 19. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Now Satan knows the importance of leadership. And so he'll try to discredit leadership in the church. And because of that, we're told, be careful about any accusations made against elders. We're told they're not even to be listened to unless there are at least two witnesses bringing that accusation. A minister called Paul Levy, who actually preached here once, he said, if anyone comes to him with any complaint about an elder, he says, you know, whatever it is, however little it might be, he says, okay, go away and get another witness and then I'll listen to you. In other words, he's raising the stakes. Uh, I wonder if that might be a good way to deal with gossip in general. When people are being gossipy with you, you could say, go away and find a witness and then we'll do something about it. And if you haven't got a witness, just be quiet. Raise the stakes. There's one trouble you could get with eldership. They get accused because Satan knows that that they matter and he wants to take them down. But here's another trouble. The accusations might sometimes be true. Verse 20. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. Accusations might sometimes prove to be true. So if there is more than one witness, they need to be investigated. And if it isn't just some minor matter, and if an elder is persisting in sin, I think verse 20 is best translated persisting in sin. Both the words there fit that, and the Bible more widely fits with, it's if they're persisting in sin. Then, what does verse 20 say? They're to be rebuked publicly. Publicly almost certainly here means in front of the church. So that the others may take warning almost certainly means so the other elders take warning. Rebuke an elder in front of the church. Has anyone here seen that done? I I doubt it. That must be a difficult thing. But elders set a tone and an example. And if it's a wrong tone and example, it must be clearly openly dealt with. Here's another trouble that you can get with elders, the trouble of getting wrong elders. We'll come back to verse 21, but we move on to verse 22 for the moment. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. Laying on hands was the way of appointing elders. And we're told here it mustn't be done hastily. Don't rush into it. Timothy must not be, Timothy must be careful not to get mixed up in the sins of others in leadership. 
By the way, I think what's happening then with verse 23, seems a little odd, doesn't it, verse 23? Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. This is just a suggestion, but it might be, by the way, this purity doesn't mean no alcohol. Remember, there were false teachers in Ephesus who were teaching things like certain foods. You mustn't eat them, that would make you unholy. It would fit that they were also anti-alcohol. And Paul's saying, no, this purity I'm talking about isn't no alcohol. In fact, Timothy, you'd be better off if you did drink some alcohol. It'd be good for your stomach. Then back to don't be hasty to appoint elders. Verse 24. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are even those that are not, cannot be hidden. How does this all tie together? Well, it's saying some people's sins are obvious. You can see them straight away. Other people's sins take time to become clear. Some people's good works, you can see so quickly. Other people's, after a while, you start to appreciate them. And so, it's saying don't be hasty to appoint elders. If you are hasty, well... You may appoint the wrong person, or you may miss out on the right person. Do you see? Because some people's sins, they don't become apparent quickly. Because some people's good works, you don't notice them quickly. If you're hasty, you might get the wrong person, or you might miss out on someone who would... It's just right for an elder, but they're underappreciated. So there we've got a few troubles that you can get with elders. False accusations, true accusations, hastily appointing them. We've had respect and realism in regard to elders. And again, it matters so there isn't slander. It matters so the church's witness isn't harmed. What has been one of the ways the church's witness has been spoiled down through its history? And maybe especially in recent years scandals in church leadership do so much damage. I think it was a couple of years ago now that it was exposed that a minister in a gospel church, a church very much like Hollywell actually, in Scotland, had been having multiple affairs. And many in the church wouldn't believe it. They said, no, it must be his wife at fault. Can you imagine how the newspapers loved that? And the name of Jesus was dishonoured. What's the Roman Catholic Church been in the news for in recent years? What's the thing it's best known for in recent years? Priests abusing people. And and not just the priests abusing people, the church, instead of dealing with it, deciding those priests were too precious or too powerful or too prominent. No, they can't be touched. It will do too much damage to the church. And it's not just been the Roman Catholic Church. It's been in... All sorts of churches. And it causes people to slander the gospel. And so God's word says, let's go back now to verse 21. God's word says this about it. Verse 21. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels. Now, whoa, you couldn't get much more serious than that. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality 
and to do nothing out of favouritism. In the most solemn way that he can, the Apostle Paul says, under God's authority, no favouritism is allowed when it comes to whether or not to respect elders. Respect them all. Don't have your favourite and you'll respect that one but not the others. No partiality is allowed, no choosing your friends or people like you or people who agree with you when it comes to appointing elders. That's something we've really got to watch out for. We don't just appoint the people who fit in with us. We go by biblical guidelines. And especially, it is saying, no partiality is allowed when it comes to rebuking elders. It's no coincidence that verse 21 comes straight after verse 20. Because the Apostle Paul was realistic. He knew how hard it would be to do verse 20. Especially with someone Timothy had been working with for a long time. And Paul, in the most solemn way he can, says no partiality, no favouritism. No one can be regarded as too prominent, too gifted, too influential, too popular, too long-standing at the church, uh, from too big a family in the church, too generous to be beyond rebuke. Do we all believe that? I expect we all do in theory. But boy, is it really hard when someone who's been around a long time and is very popular needs to be rebuked. And we need to remember verse 21. I met once a very damaged woman. I couldn't believe this when I heard how she'd been damaged. Her husband was an elder of the church and was having an affair and she was told to turn a blind eye to it because he was too good a preacher and too popular in the church. I felt like I was going to explode. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality. And to do nothing out of favouritism. The church is to be a place of impartial justice. As well as generous mercy to the repentant. We have a third relationship comes up in chapter 6 verses 1 to 2. I'm calling it employers and managers. Now I don't think we should go through this properly now. Because I want to keep the emphasis on what's just been said about elders. But I do want to quickly point out what's going on here so we see how it all fits together and we've got one theme. So just very quickly through chapter 6 verses 1 to 2. Now, many in the church back then were slaves. The Bible here is not defending slavery. It wasn't going to change then. And the church had no political power or economic clout. So the Christians who were slaves needed to know how to act as slaves. It was effectively their workplace. And by the way, although it was harsh and unjust, it was nothing like the slave trade and the cotton fields of America that we see enacted on our TV programmes. I'm not claiming it was good. I'm just saying it was different. And so the teaching here translates for us into how we relate to our employers and managers at work. And Christian slaves are told to respect their masters. Verse 1. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect. It's the same word honour again. Exactly the same word. 
The words come up for widows and elders and slave masters. Fancy that. They are to be respected. But there is also realism here. If you were a slave, there were many reasons why you probably wouldn't feel like respecting your master. And there is realism that if that master was a Christian, you might particularly not feel like it. So verse 2, those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Imagine that you're a slave and on a Sunday you sit alongside this man as an equal and you eat the Lord's Supper with him as an equal and on Monday he's telling you what to do and he's your master. There's realism that you might not show him the respect that he's due at work. But they're told, show respect. You must. Why? Verse 1. All those who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Same concern. See, we've had this concern keep coming up. The concern is keeping the witness of the church clear and free from slander. Do you respect your boss at work if you have one? If you've got a boss at work, do you respect your boss? Does your attitude to your boss make him or her more or less likely to listen to the gospel? Now, a church that was considering me, asking me to come and be their minister, uh, they discovered that my last workplace was Watford Boys School. And unknown to me, they phoned the headmaster. And they said to the headmaster, uh, you know, ask the headmaster what he thought of me. Was I a good example? Did I behave in the sort of way he expected a Christian to? I didn't know they were going to do this. I didn't find out till afterwards. How would you get on with such a phone call? Do you act towards others at work in a way that helps or hinders the witness of the church and of the gospel? So we've had three relationships with the needy, with elders and with employers and managers to be be characterised by respect and realism so the witness of the church isn't slandered. God's word is not afraid to be very specific and detailed and to put things very strongly. It's concerned that all of us are practical and real. And we don't just turn up to church and listen and, oh, good, we've got a few more details in our head and we know a few more things and, oh, good, we've seen better how 1 Timothy 5 works. He wants us to live it out really in our daily lives. But in all the details we have here, remember what the concern is. We've seen this in previous weeks. It's it's the key verses of 1 Timothy. It's chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. The concern is this, to make sure the church is being the pillar and foundation of the truth. And remember what the truth is. Verse 16 tells us that, it's making known Jesus who is the truth. So let's not forget, that is the aim. All these details we've heard are to help us make Jesus known and admired. Is that your desire? Do you want to make Jesus known and admired? Well, the church is to be a pillar that's doing that. Let's think of a famous pillar in our country. What's maybe the most famous pillar in our country? Nelson's Column. What's Nelson's Column there for? 
Well, originally it was to make Nelson known and admired. It, it was to remind everyone of his victory and how the country benefited from it. And to do that, they have a strong pillar and a well-designed pillar. And you can all picture it, can't you? Around the base, it's got illustrations of his victory. It's a pillar made suitable for making Nelson known and admired. And so the church, in its relationships, in how it cares, in how it's led, even in how we relate to people at work, is to be a suitable pillar for making Jesus known and admired. Reminding everyone of his victory and how we benefit from it.